0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production, and our second hour is usually something we wanna spend a little bit more time on. And today, Alex Goldner will be back. We'll actually talk about lower thirds in motion. we said we were gonna talk about lower thirds in motion last week, but we got just so many questions about motion that we just answered those, which was fine. (laughs) So we're gonna gonna now talk about lower thirds in motion and how you get them into Final Cut. So Alex will be joining us for the second hour. It should be a lot of fun. you know, and for those of you who don't, Aren't, don't use Motion that much. It's a $50 application that does an incredible amount of graphics and so it's really worth uh, knowing about it. Um, so, so definitely check it out. If you have questions for the first hour or the second hour, uh, you can use askofficehours.global that's askofficehours.global uh, you can ask the question 24 7. So it doesn't even have to be during the show and we'll pull it in later and, uh, and throw it into the queue. Uh, so go ahead and use that. Of course you can also use Makana. You can vote on questions chat with each other um, so you can do all that. If you're trying to figure out how to get an McCona. It's in the mail. that goes out every day. If you don't know how to do that, then you can go to officehours.global and sign up for Join Us, and then you'll be there. So anyway, that's how that works. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Mitch, what do we have?
1: Thank you, Alex. First up is Tony Mobley, Newton, Georgia. Is it safe to update to Mac OS 14.2 on my Memo Live Mac MIDI machine? Uh,
2: go ahead, Chris. Uh, Tony, in the spirit of not knowing the answer but still wanting to hear myself talk, I'm going to say... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, here's what I know. Um, one of the things that happened at 14.1, I don't know about 14, uh, but, but it was not a problem at 14, is that Apple changed the way it um, changed the requirements for something to be called a virtual camera. Now, interestingly enough, it didn't happen at 14. Oh, and everybody always says, oh, well, be careful when you go to a .0 release. I always like to wait till the one release, Alex is going to say. I like to wait till the five. But um, at 14.1, they changed the requirements of what a virtual camera was. Now, if you use virtual cameras at Mima Live and you're currently on 14.0 or prior, you will, you will potentially run into a problem where um, virtual cameras are acting differently. There's a hack for it. Um, you could, I found it in five minutes. Basically, you have to go into a command line and type a bunch of stuff, and at the end of it, it says equals zero, and it'll start working again. But just be careful. Make sure your uh, virtual camera, if your virtual camera stops working, it is fixable. Go ahead, Guy.
3: Uh, let's see if you can see my screen, but it still says 14.0 one so here's Mim Alive. i use it every day that's how i bring stuff over so i'm using it with ndi to do screen shares into vmix so uh it depends on what you're using it for so if you're if you've got a stable show and it's working right now i wouldn't be cutting edge i would just go ahead and run so i haven't upgraded to 14.2 because what i'm using it for it's working and i'll let others uh, you know, take the hit. Uh, if I had a second system to go ahead and run it on and and put it through its paces, then I would put it on that one. But I w- if you're using it for a production machine, I would hold off. Just not be so cutting edge. And that's generally the rule on a lot of things: is not to go right away headstrong mm-hmm. in unless you have a second backup machine.
2: And and you're using virtual camera on that machine with Memo? Uh, on this one,
3: I am not. Nope. Using okay. You're
0: using it. You're using MIMO to capture the screen and deliver it to vmix via ndi so that you you can capture a mac screen that's because the ndi because vmix can't see the mac right yeah use
3: it for other things too for grabbing records grabbing other ndi feeds and pushing them in but for what it's doing right now this this workflow works works fine with it in fact uh oliver's going to be doing a um a session this week in after hours where he's putting together an NDI Mimo Live kit uh, that we've we've got a Google Doc with all the components and he's going to be building it in after hours. So I'm excited to see what he would always come up with because it's a it's a portable kit so that you can switch uh, using his uh, software on uh, a Mac Mini or a laptop and then bring in NDI. Uh, sources so there's converters for HDMI and SDI in there but the idea is to have uh, a Netgear M4250 switch in there and that way you can bring in all your sources so I'm excited to see how that all comes together and how big it is you know cuz to me size starts to matter when I'm going up and down elevators and don't have a cart and you know luggage with wheels so I'm excited to see how his cart comes out cuz I, I I brought out my Gator kit cuz we were in another after hours breakout session where everybody just dived in and said here's what I would use here's what I would use so I helped a little bit, but I wonder what he finally decided on, so he bought a bunch of stuff and the list I'll put it up in uh, Mukana, but there's a pretty extravagant list it, it winds up being about seven grand for everything so it's it's not because the Mac itself is like three or four grand so it's a right. it's a big one
0: yeah it i'm I'm interested to start using MIMO for as a Zoom ISO, instead of, possibly instead of Zoom ISO, um, but, but as a, for the, you know, so with Michael Krasny, what I do is I use Zoom ISO right now and I deliver uh, ISO, the ISO audio from the from Zoom to uh, Audio Hijack, actually. We also deliver it back to a mix pre and um, record it on Zoom and a bunch of different copies there. But I started playing with MIMO. Um, so on my Mac Studio, well, and, and, and the stream is done by memo, so I do the stream, the memo live is what streams the streams to YouTube for the people watching the show. And so, um, but one of the things I've set up now is, is all of the records inside of that. So I have the ISO records of the, of Michael, the ISO records of the guests, the individual ISO audio records are all set up in, in there, as well as the stream. And all I gotta do is hit start show and it just starts, you know, everything just lights up all the way down. Um, to, to do all those recordings. Um, the interesting thing is, I was, and I was worried that I was going to start pushing the studio too hard, but we're about at forty-seven <laughs> you know, percent. The, the the my Mac studio is at 47 percent recording all of those things, um, as needed, uh, to and streaming. So it's um it's pretty pretty efficient. Um, the I know that for me, I'm still using thirteen uh, point something or other, whatever the newest thirteen is. Um, uh, but I but I have not moved to fourteen yet. Uh, Usually my upgrade path is that I will go to the newest operating system from Apple at the end of February. Uh, I've broken that rule a couple times and usually paid the price. Uh, And the reason is is I have a strong opinion looking at the release schedules um, that Apple pays a lot of attention to fixing as many things as they possibly can by the uh, February. And then after that, they are doing security fixes. I mean, obviously, if there's something, a major bug, they'll do it, but there's not... We don't see anything new after that, and so then that 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 means it kind of settles. Um, my my opinion is by February it's it's largely settled. Most of the teams are paying attention to what's going to happen at WWDC and you're not really you know adding things like the new I think the new seventeen point two in iOS for instance added journaling, like a whole new a whole new app <laughs> got, got added into something that 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 is there, and so they're still adding things. And when anytime you add something, you break things. And so I just want them to stop adding things before I, start add, before I start putting it in. It also, it doesn't have to do as much with Apple. It's, this is a good example of what Tony's asking for is that, is that it gives all the other, by me waiting, it gives all the, manu- all the people who develop software and hardware time to get caught up, you know, time to get everything working. And so I have um, the minimum number of things that are, you know, not uh, compatible you know, so, so those things all kind of get updated as as I go through and so so, I tend to move very slowly, but it's a um uh, yeah anyway it 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 i I have found that every time I picked before February, there was some point where I was like, man, I wish I hadn't done that, and so I've stopped doing it. <laughs> go ahead guy
3: yeah, I found that uh, list real quick just to kind of run through it uh, he's got the the Mac uh, up top, and then the case that he chose was this s k b uh it looks like a thirteen inch fly rack, so does this have wheels? No wheels. So you're going you're gonna to need a cart or something or just some beefy biceps. But here's the rest of the uh, pieces of the puzzle. So I put a link to that in Mukana. But it, it's uh, this Wednesday, I believe, that you'll be able to jump in there and walk through him building that thing. So it should be fun to dive in and take a look.
0: And and I we were able to do a a, uh, a reach out to Oliver to ask specifically to make sure that we can answer this question as accurate as possible. From Oliver, it says, uh, yes, on silicon. So, yes, you can do it on silicon, not on, not on Intel. And I know that Tony has uh, silicon, um, uh, so I think he should be okay. Uh, virtual camera on Memo Live 6.5 or earlier requires changing a security setting in Mac OS to work with... Mac OS 14.1 or newer. So that's what Chris was talking about. Um, 6.6 Beta 1 has a new camera extension, virtual camera that works on 14.2 and virtual audio devices that allow routing of audio in and out of Memolive Live um, uh, and between documents. Uh, Mac OS 14 breaks Memolive Live on Intel Macs, only option is to downgrade Mac OS right now. So, if you're on a silicon, which I think is what Tony's on, it shouldn't be a problem. If you're on Intel, you may have some other, other issues. Yeah, go ahead, um, uh, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, my first question is, how easy is it to slush back? And then the second one is, don't they get the pre-release uh, versions of the software in beta or alpha?
0: They do. It's, it just takes time. I mean, you know, like it it is, a, you know, oftentimes these are libra- they're very complex libraries and, um, you and it's also a matter of getting into what we would call gamma testing, which is when you know beta, alpha testing, which is something you do internally, beta testing you do in a small group of people. Gamma testing is everybody. <laughs> you put it out there and you just start to see what the problems are and you start to see the patterns. And it's really hard sometimes to know what those are until a lot of people are using it. Um, but I, but the biggest problem is is that you get these betas, but you have a couple months to do it and a couple of weeks and there's a lot of things. That, and, and I I used to develop software so. There was a lot of things that we would we would see coming. we can't get it fixed. You're then talking to Apple about trying to get it fixed. you're trying to figure out what's actually happening and then it's released and so there's it just takes time to sometimes and that's why usually even if you're I know Chris goes ahead of it, but Chris spends I think most of his time in apple software <laughs> so, so 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 the and the Apple software definitely has an inside advantage and so so but but i even when I upgrade to fourteen because I'll upgrade to i'll I'll upgrade but I usually don't ever have it set to automatic upgrade and I usually give it at least a couple weeks to just kind of watch what happens, especially in the apps that matter to me. And especially when you start using really higher end 3D apps and and um, visual effects apps, that's when you really want to stay behind because they've built a whole bunch of their own libraries to do a lot of things because the, the computers can't do that. And they're really, you know, prickly about moving forward. I mean, you can ask Abbott about that. I I think that people were using Mojave until like last year. So um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asks, uh, Ubiquity recently released the Unify Express, which has the Unify platform at a Wi-Fi 6 access point in a compact box. Could this be a viable solution for small studios or event sites, even with a one gigabyte Ethernet limit?
3: Good guy. That's one gigabit, uh, small b. Um, yeah, on that point, uh, right out the gate, the one gigabit doesn't really matter because that's what's coming in. Well, if you put on another switch attached to that, then you can go to 10G. But of course, your your internal stuff just off that is going to be one gigabit. But this looks like a really exciting device. Uh, uh, after Douglas posted the question yesterday, I went to click this little Buy Now button, and of course, it's completely sold out, and they're selling them for 100 bucks more on, on eBay. But yeah, you get the point that it's uh, you can put 60 devices... Um, I think it's really meant for like POS um, displays, uh, like people that are doing uh, enterprise and stuff where you want to do site to site. But for 149 bucks, you get that ubiquity interface, you get the, your firewall. It, it does a lot. So I'm thinking about putting one in that Memo Live uh, kit that we were just showing where that's the, that's the router. So you bring it in, you got your Wi-Fi, you could add additional um, units to, to get additional Wi-Fi. But I like the Dream Machine just because of the flexibility and it already has 10G built into it. So it's... It's a bit more money, but it, it depends on where you're going with it. If you want it portable and you have a small place, then this one for 149 bucks, done deal. You could add a second one, 149 $149, you're up to $450. What's Otherwise, the stateful
0: big- transfer to, uh, you know, as far as the internet connectivity? So it, it's a one gig. Connection, but that's yeah. not what it's connecting to the internet. And so, like for instance, the Meraki's the stateful I think is like a hundred megs a second or two, fifty megs. It used to be fifty megs a second from like the Z3s. Um, does it? You know, in inside the VPN, what is the what is the transfer
3: rate? I'm not sure about the VPN, but to, uh, what it does um, typically, if you have one gig coming in, it'll 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 dish that back out. Uh, on the one that I have, you can actually bond two. So on the Ubiquiti Dream Machine Pro, you have two internets and you can actually bond them together. So you could you could theoretically double the d- depending on the mode that you have either failover, so it's hard failover, or you can have it to where it bonds the two together. So depending on your speed, and it should theoretically Wi-Fi six deliver. Uh, I mean, I'm getting 600, I believe, on the Wi-Fi 600 megabit on Wi-Fi six. So it yeah, it depends on uh, yeah. That's your great. device, your connecting device, if it's truly Wi-Fi six, yeah. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, guy covered it really well. It's I see it's it's designed for.
4: Uh, companies that have a lot of stores in in different malls and stuff in one city, and they want to link them all together to do their accounting and stuff on on what's seemingly a local area network, but really a distributed uh, network. It looks like they've hired uh, the old tooling for the uh mac mini intel mac minis to do their <laughs> to do their case design for them and uh, I always wonder wi fi six i guess is is such high frequency that you can put the antennas in the base, but if you have an aluminum thing like that with no external antennas, I wonder how good the coverage is going to be. They say 1,500 square feet for each access point there that you put in. And the access points can l- link locally <clears throat> over Wi-Fi uh, or uh, a LAN uh, in a single building uh, before without going out to the WAN. Uh, so it looks very interesting for $149. I think they're going to sell a lot of them
0: yeah and one of the things that we 've used these these the Meraki's for a lot of times was just to connect our networks together, so like for instance. Um, you know, we put the little Z3s, and this this would be potentially a good replacement for that. It wouldn't be a replacement for a location. If you're doing a location, you're going to use a Dream Machine or you're going to use something else. I mean, you're, you know, you're not, I think the question was specifically, could these be used for small studios and event sites? Maybe a small studio, never an event site. Like event site, you'd go to a Dream Machine Pro or something like that, even if it was a small one. I mean, you really want a network that you can manage. But, but what we put a lot of the Z3s into um, were basically, and the Z3s have modems in them. So, we would um, – so, they would – We getting modems is a whole other thing. But that's a whole – getting the, the, the SIM cards is a whole other thing. But once you have them in there, it just meant that we could always get to them. We can always – once they're plugged in, we can always get to that, um, you know, t- touch it to be able to administer it and try to figure out what's going on if it's not connecting into the internet yet. And it could theoretically – I mean, if you have good coverage, you were able to – just you could run a show out of it if you had to. Anyway, the um, but the main thing is those go out and those have gone out in every kit for a long time, and that just means that we can log into everything. They, they have all the devices inside of them. They're all that are all in the DHCP uh, register, and so that way everything in every kit is always the same. You just tell me what kit it is, and I know, you know, I know which part of the of their IP. I just just change the. The router number but they're all the endpoints are all the same you know and so so it made it really easy for us to get to administer them do all the things that we needed to do the other thing we would get into is you take you we'd have a we'd have on the meraki network i'm not the unify should be able to do the same thing we had a situation where we had a lot of graphics that need to be done for a big conference It was, we didn't have a lot of space. So literally the conference was like, you can have this much space and we can't fit everybody in it. So we had to figure out where to put people. We put the entire graphics division at our office. So the entire graphics, so doing all the lower thirds, all the other bits and pieces, and they were literally punching all of the lower thirds into a black magic switcher 80 miles away, or uh, 35 miles away. (laughs) 35 miles away, they were punching all of these lower thirds in from a nice, quiet office. They're having their coffee. They're doing their thing. They're not, in the, they're not in the space. And they're able to completely administer all the graphics that were happening, you know, in that space. And that was 10 years ago, you know, like that. And so so the, um, so that's the kind of thing that you can do when you start to be able to connect something really inexpensive. This is a much better price than the Meraki stuff. It's like the Meraki stuff is $350 to start, and then you're paying some kind of membership, you know, that's not trivial. I mean, it, it, it's not that much per year, but it adds up. <laughs> you keep on, your are like, I got to pay another $250 for each one of these. So, um, so anyway, uh, these look really great. I mean, I, I have to admit that I'm, I'm super interested in, in uh, build, you know, testing them because they could be a much more cost effective way to do a lot of those things. The thing that we get caught up in, the reason I ask is that at least with the Meraki's, they weren't they were you could connect directly to the internet at full speed at the full whatever you can have as far as internet access but the stateful like once you're inside the VPN had a limit Um, and so I don't if they don't have a limit that's amazing but the Meraki's were typically limited to something like I mean I think they're now up to 250 but they used to be like 50 and then 100 and, and so the stateful band uh, throughput is different than the absolute uh, throughput and th- at least in the Meraki stuff that's my most of my experience. So that, that'd be the only thing that I'd be curious about and their website is completely useless to me because I can't get to a spec sheet like they have this weird thing that I have to scroll through when I try to find it um, so I mean this is Unify. Um, I hate these web pages that, that you have to scroll up and down with these big pictures and the, I, all I want is the spec. <laughs> like I just want the spec sheet. Uh, go ahead, Guy.
3: Yeah, the other one to take a look at is uh, the GLI net uh, line. Those are pretty popular. I know um, our friend Greg Gibson, he uses it in his, his kits um, to be able to control his FR7s and have something that dishes out, uh, you know, IPs to each one. Um, if you added one of these Netgear 4250s to that Ubiquity, now you could still have, you know, your AV over IP Mickey in the chat saying, you know, don't use Ubiquity for it. Yeah, I agree. So something like this, you can just say, I want these ones to be NDI. I want these ones to be Dante. So you could segment VLANs and you could have separate IPs. So you could have a, a 192 uh, scope on on uh, the Unify. And then in here, you can say, I want this to be 10.1. 10.1.1.2, 10.1.3 and so on and so forth for your NDI and Dante devices. So this is about a $600 device and it'll just save you a lot of headache if you decide to go into the networking uh, audio and video over IP. So I, I'd strongly suggest taking a look at that line as well. Yeah, absolutely. Next question.
1: Peter Rosado from Las Vegas, Nevada. iOS 17.2 introduced sp- spatial recording for Vision Pro. What are your thoughts? I've been playing with it a little bit. It, it. One of the problems is is that it's really sensitive. So it's
0: like a, it's a very delicate thing. It's like, oh, there's not enough light. Oh, you need to be further away. <laughs> like it, it's constantly telling you what you need to do to actually use it. But what you'll see, um, it's it, it's been in the beta for a couple months now. Um, but what you'll see is when you pick up your phone, you have to be in landscape mode. You can't do it in portrait because it it depends on where the, um, if we look at this, these, uh. Let's see if, if, if we put the, these two have to be next to each other like this, so it can't do it this way because there's no lenses that are next to each other. What's interesting is these are two different lenses, so it's doing some computational photography to figure out like to build two versions of it now, what it does is it's recording one file, so it records a file and it's it's it is a there's one hero eye, typically the left eye, and then there is a delta. Which is the, all the other information that you would need to to, to reconstruct the right eye uh, in three D. Now, the the, um, the problem is I don't have a Vision Pro, and there's not really any way to view it anyway other than the Vision Pro right now. So you're kind of shooting into the dark. Of you can, I have uh, you can send it to friends <laughs> and say, how does it look? You know, how how am I, what am I doing? Is how does it how does that look? Um, but the um, the uh, anyway, so so the you can do that. But but what what it's designed for is that you um uh you c- it's gonna be designed as a as a product that will go right through your editing system. Now it'll obviously the first one that'll work with really well is Final Cut and Motion and so on and so forth, where those ones will be able to see that data really quickly. But it's designed for the the content creator, unless you want to dig into it, it's gonna just gonna look like a regular video file. So you're gonna be able to edit it like any other video file, but it happens to have um depth data or it happens to have two eyes so not it won't I don't know if it'll do depth data when that would be super cool I'm, I'm not sure if that if it does that or not anyway the point is is that and we'll see my guess is is that Final Cut will support it out of you know there'll be an up I think it, I think the update might have already happened with Final Cut I'm not 100% sure where it supports that spatial data um, uh, but the next one will most likely be Resolve. Um, will be the one that does it, but I'm sure that Apple is talking to everybody about supporting this this, um, this uh, format to get things through. People are trying to hack it. I don't think anyone has yet to get both eyes back, you know, so they can have both eyes to, to do whatever they want to do with both eyes. But uh, I don't think that that's been successful yet. Um, but uh, it's pretty interesting. I would suggest if you're at a location and you're shooting stuff, if you've got a 15 and you've got um, you got the new operating system, shoot a little bit of footage. You may decide you wish you had in the future. It's only 1080p, um, so it's not like a really, really high resolution uh, video, but uh, it is, uh, um, but I would, you know, it's it's going to be cool. Um, you know, I think that uh, we just have to remember that, again, I just want to keep on underlining, the Vision Pro is not a hobby for Apple. Like Apple TV is a hobby, or it was a hobby for Apple. Vision Pro is is what I think, they're going to spend a lot of time and effort on. It's worth getting your head around uh, what it looks like
1: because Apple's probably going to put a little bit of effort into it. Um, uh, Next question. Incoming QR code question from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning everyone. Considering a Blackmagic Multiview 4 to get quad display on a 4k TV from Mac minis, it would require Blackmagic converters to route. Would the panel recommend this workflow seeing the Multiview 4 is a little long in the tooth?
3: Guy, yeah, there may be less expensive ways of doing this. Uh, maybe mono price or somebody has something that's in the HDMI world because, yeah, you're gonna have 540, $545 to get a multi view that has SDI input. So, you're gonna spend what 60 bucks times four. Uh, me myself, this is what I use uh, for 619, so just a little bit more. You get a monitor, an LG 43 inch that has quad input, and you can. You can take any one of these full screen if you want with the remote control. Uh, I think David Britt even fired it up to where he can do it over over another device. Uh, but yeah, this this is what a lot of people like Jeff Keithley, Paul Wallace, those of us that have got these really, really like them a lot because six 600 bucks, and you don't have to buy a Demon Quad. So the they other were- option is a Demon Quad from... Um, Decimator, and that's going to cost you some money too. So, it just depends on what you're doing. Uh, NDI is another route of doing this. It depends on how far you're trying to traverse, where are those Mac Minis going to live. Uh, but yeah, myself, I'd get the get the LG. They
0: during uh, black the Black Friday, they were four hundred and fifty dollars, four hundred and forty nine. I saw
3: that. I was like, man, do I need another so one? So I know I
0: didn't have the cash to do it. I was just like, oh, can't do that right now. Go ahead, Courtney.
4: Now the uh, I was going to recommend the Demon Quad. The uh, I I've had them but they were they used to be 495. Look at the price now. They're in stock at, uh, three, you know, 300 bucks, 295. And that takes uh, four SDI um, you know, 1080p inputs and and outputs uh over HDMI. It also has an HDMI input as well. Uh but um uh, and they work pr- pretty well. They have the LCD display on them. And for the 295 price, then you could just get some uh, Chinese-made off eBay uh, HDMI to SDI converters, which yeah, generally will work just fine. Especially if you're just using them, you're not using them for color grading or anything. You're just using them for reference uh, before they go in and out of uh, your switcher, or before they go in and out of a a router. Uh, so that might be a solution for you, Demon Quad.
0: Yeah, and if you want to stick with HDMI, Monoprice makes a $250 box that'll do four HDMI 4Ks um, and be able to, you can swap between them. You can have them all up as four up. You can select one and have pop to it. Um, I don't know if it's as nice as the other ones. Um, I've definitely used it. I've got no problem with it at all. I'm not using it right now because I have this 8x8 eight eight and the two of them don't like each other. So, <laughs> so, so the, uh, um, they, I have, I've had a little trouble get, getting both of them to work well together. But um, even though they're both made by my price. Um, anyway, but, the, but it's a 4x1. So 4 in, 1 out. You can see splits. You can, so then it turns any monitor into it. And as, and as I remember, it's about $250. Uh, next question.
1: Andy Kokendorfer from Vero, Florida. I've noticed Dito lights on some sets and product shots. What makes them special?
3: Good guy. Yeah, back in the day, these used to be really, really something to uh, aspire to, but they were super expensive because they were like little little Fresnels. But they had the cool thing was that they had barn doors. So. What you want sometimes is the ability, like right now I have this hair light that's, that's shining a nice little uh, sheen on my hair, and the way I'm doing it is with, a, is with a similar light. This one's made by Felix, but you get these barn doors, and then you get the ability to dim it. So, not only can you throw the light on it, but you can shape the light, and you know, so this would be how it normally, and I can shape it, and then I can dim it. So, that's why Dito Light's famous, and, is that, uh, and is then that they bi- also
0: made something that you could... Is that bi-directional, uh, bi-color?
3: Yeah, this one is. Yeah. So it's hard to get uh, sometimes that pattern that you want exactly where you want it, specifically for somebody's hair and shoulders. So a lot of times you'll see these things, I can't really get it by myself, but right beneath the, the shoulders and that'll create a rim of light uh, for people that don 't have hair you don 't want to put a hair light on them, so you'll you'll come down a little lower and you 'll hit it hit their shoulder so these kind of lights by Dito light felix there 's a couple other manufacturers that make these hard sources for nail lights that you can vary the attachments that you stick on the front and focus that beam to get it exactly where you
1: now uh, go ahead uh, Mitchell yeah, the call used to go out, put a Dito on it I mean that was something we heard all the time, and they it was because they were small. And very focusable, like uh, Guy was saying, you could adjust the light uh, uh, beam patterns, et cetera. But for product shots, they were small and get, they could get in those places that you didn't want to bring a big instrument in and, and light it up. So uh, they're still viable, it's just that they sort of fell out of favor as everything went made, uh, switched to LED. Good, Courtney. Yeah, everyone's right. They 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 go back to the '80s where they used to use like projector
4: like bulbs, uh, incandescent bulbs, and they had such a small uh, head. I a lot of guys would use them for the the guys that shoot food photography always had Dino light kits because they could uh, focus and barn door and get that little slit of light just to light up the uh, grease on the hamburger, you know, a patty, to get that uh, light to make it look just right. And so. Uh, They were great for product photography or tabletop photography or food photography. And plus, they had the the benefit of using them, as as, uh, Guy said, for hair lights or, you know, rim lights, little things where you had to control them and you didn't want to generate a whole lot of heat. But nowadays, uh, since they're LEDs and dual color, uh, they're a lot more useful and a lot less hot. Yeah, and the uh,
0: a- aspherical optics um, it allows them to focus a little bit more, it's a patent pending or patent uh, based um, system and that's one of the things that they have that's a little different than everybody else uh, to allow you to have a very pinpoint. Um, I still see them a lot on high end sets. You see a lot of other things on lower end sets, but on the high end sets you see a lot of them. <laughs> you know, when people want to put things exactly where they want, especially in the ad world, um, in those types of things, it's, it's, I don't see them as much on film sets. Um, but I definitely see them a lot on when we're doing product stuff. Now, next question.
1: Next question for John in Ceilings Grove, Pennsylvania. Has anyone found an inexpensive workflow to start recording on Blackmagic cameras using a Bluetooth device?
0: Uh, the the your phones and iPads and Mac Minis can, all can run the Blackmagic software, and that will you can start rolling on the Blackmagic software there. Um, so that I don't know what is inexpensive and what is expensive. I, I you know, if you have a a device that ha- can run that app, then that will work. Um, to to make that actually happen, I don't have a blue. I don't have a Blackmagic camera up right now, so it's hard for me to show you uh, that working. But it definitely will work. We we used it. We, in the kits that we've sent out with Blackmagic six Ks, we open up that software. And that's how we turn the cameras on, like get them, get them rolling because they're remote. But we have a Mac Mini in there. That Mac Mini ho- runs the software. It also runs um, uh, uh, Wingman for the for our Mix pre, And so we have some control over those and see. It also jumps into Zoom and does a bunch of other things. And so, so it's inexpensive for us because it's doing a lot of things. Um, but it is not necessarily the most inexpensive way to do that. Um, but if you have something there, it should be able to fire it off. Um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, Alex, you mentioned that you tend to hire technical people that work well with others. How should we as an industry integrate neurodivergent populations? Should we be mentoring them in the communication skills to work effectively with others?
0: You know, it it really depends on the person. I mean, I think that there are, um, you know, there are, it it is, um, there are, Different ways to manage. I think this is kind of a ro- rollover from last last week, um, uh, or yesterday. We were talking about uh, uh, staffing and so on and so forth. And um, I think that uh, a lot of times, one of the things that we have found is we have fo- folks that would work for us that remotely, and so they didn't really, they weren't really comfortable with. I mean, I found out that they really weren't comfortable with going, <laughs> like going to the set. They just weren't for a variety of reasons. They didn't want to go go to a set and be on it. And so, what we had a lot of them working remotely, and they were extremely effective. Um, they just didn't. We just didn't have them put. We just didn't put them in the in a in harm's way, you know, so to so to speak. I think that if you are going to do that, you have to be very effective and very communicative, communicative, and you know, you have to really stand out technically to to make that work. But it definitely has uh, did work for us, um, you know, to make that to make that ha- actually happen for some members of our crew that. Uh, again we're not as specialized the the, the the for an employer someone who has a you know has some issues or some challenges if you figure out how to get you know have them be productive and effective and and part of a team um man you get a lot of dedication <laughs> like so it's it's a really you know because you you're putting in that extra effort so as an employer that's usually actually a really a uh, strong place to get people that'll really stick with you because you're working with them to make that actually happen. So it's a, it it actually is a huge advantage for people who take advantage who who look at what that that opportunity might be as an employer to be able to give people that opportunity and find a way that you know every person is. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be neurodivergent. Every person is a challenge in some way, and every person has assets in some way and it 's like a jigsaw puzzle and you 're just trying to figure out what jigsaw you know sometimes we 're just trying to bash people into the into the hole that we had but if you can figure out what that jigsaw is and you can figure out where people fit, um, every person has their own has a pluses and minuses, and you 're just trying to find a place to take advantage of their where do, where can I put that person? where they are going to be the most effective and I'm going to take away the things that they're not effective at and have somebody else do that (laughs) or how or or build a system that supports them. And so you know if you can figure out how to customize that sometimes you don't have the tools to do that like when I'm on set I I need I need a certain tool set but in in the overall as you build up a group you can like we were we were really looking at uh, right before we closed. Uh, the Pixel Corps offices in DC. We were really we were talking to a lot of veterans organizations about looking at veterans who had mobility issues but were otherwise fine, you know. And I was like, I don't need I don't need them to carry anything. <laughs> you know, like they can sit there and cut shows all day. So you know. So we were really looking at how we customize our our workflow to allow for that. And so so those are um, you know those are definitely uh, things that we we think a lot about. And it's it's a it's a huge opportunity. Like I. Uh, at um, at one of the companies we worked with, a lot of their custodial staff, um, you know, have have challenges, and they, they, they love their jobs, <laughs> you know, like that that the they have those things in there, and they um, and they and they're very specific. I mean, man, they really run run me through the ringer over putting things in the wrong place. So um, so so I think that there's a lot of it. Just depends on where where it all fits. Um, next question.
1: Tony Mobley from Noonan, Georgia asks Does the panel have any suggestions for me? I have a 24 inch monitor that is vertical, and it was supposed to be part of a setup for Mimo Live on my Mimo Live machine. However, based on the way everything is working, there's no need for it.
4: I got okay, Courtney. Well, you could unscrew those four screws on the VESA mount and turn it 90 degrees, and then use it as a regular horizontal uh, 24. Or if you've got it plugged into a single computer, like a Windows computer or even your Mac computer, you can put, uh, you can stack three 16 by nine windows on top of each other, one atop the other, uh, to get. Three, uh, uh, three programs displayed on a single monitor in their standard aspect ratio of 16 by 9 if it's media playback or something like that. Um, but the problem with vertical monitors is if you're using them in a Zoom room or something where you've got a ca- camera involved, uh, they might work good if you have a monitor below the camera, a monitor above the camera, and then two verticals on either side. And that give you a whole lot of screen space with the camera in the middle. Uh, Otherwise, the problem is you're looking too far up or too far down on a vertical monitor, so it moves your eyeline too far off uh, the camera. So um, I'd use it judiciously if you're using it in the Zoom room, but as I said, if you need to use it for displaying multiple programs at the same time, uh, it'd come in handy in the vertical mode by stacking the windows three, three high. You can never
0: have too many monitors. Like it's just impossible. Like I, I'm constantly trying to figure out where I put the next one. Uh, so clocks, um, extra data, uh, other things that you're working on, things that you're you know. There's always think more things to, to display. <laughs> so so um, I wouldn't worry about. You, but I but I definitely think I, I put a lot of my work notes. You know my show notes. Uh, all those you know all those things are are things that I, that I throw into those vertical, vertical – mon- or I throw into monitors in general. I don't have a lot of vertical monitors. I tend to keep them all the same because a lot of them have to go back into my switcher. So as a result, I, they all stay in a 16 by 9
1: aspect ratio. Next question. David Brady from New York, New York, has a question. What are some practical applications for Stream Deck Plus with Companion? Uh, Mitchell? Um, I find it absolutely dedicated and perfect uh, working Companion, Stream Deck with my Mix Effect – um, it just uh, expands an already great program into something that's so usable right there in front of you. I'm just looking forward to the, uh, the feedback. Now, are you, you know, using it with the function. Stream Deck Plus? That's with
0: the, with the rotary dials across the bottom. Ooh. Yeah, that's what he's High asking on that for. One. He's I'm using to, the 32 yeah. button. Sorry. Yeah, he's trying to figure out the you – know, I, think, I think we all know how to make Stream Deck work well. It's, it's, what do we do with those rotary, rotary dials uh, when it comes to the Companion? Go ahead, Guy.
3: Yeah, they're showing it. Uh, IBC and the Vmix booth the ability to use those dials to position, so you could turn, uh, rotate them, and move graphics left, right, up, down. So, I mean, I'm just using one with with Vmix myself, uh, not the not the plus. But uh, this is how I cut. When you see, you know, I'm able to cut to. Let's see. I'll hit fade, and so that's how I can cut over to. That. But are you
0: using? But have you have you used the the? I think he's asking him specifically about the companion, the, the Stream Deck Plus.
3: Have you? So I don't have the Plus, but that's what I was saying. Was that at IBC they showed uh, one great use case is that ability to position. So I would say unless you need it, the old ones uh, working fine. But yeah, I've seen people want to use it for um, color as well. In that VMix uh, demo, they showed how to adjust saturation, uh, hue, and things like that. So I think that's one of the the main purposes besides uh, audio level.
0: Yeah, I, I have to admit that the the main use that I've had for it is like there are some custom builds by side. I think it's called Side Effects um, that build them for it. So I'm not using them with Companion. Uh, I think it's SideEffects.com. And uh, let's see here, Side Effects. Let's see, not Side Effects. Side Effects makes Houdini. Um, uh, let's see here. Hold on. Uh, uh, scream Deck. Sorry, we're going to slow this down for just a second because I want to, um, there is a company that make, oh, Sideshow Effects, um, I believe is the is the name of it. Yeah, so Sideshow Effects, and I've bought probably more than I should have from these. These, what they do is they build, um, they build, They so this is not a companion solution, um, you know, for, for that, but what these guys do is they build lots and lots of pre-built, um, systems so that you know you can run it, and I bought them for logic as well, which is really hard to install in my opinion <laughs> but but also um but you can so you can build a lot of these tools um, they they really customize it with all the icons and all the setups and every and all the behaviors that you want um, and so uh, and so you have if you look at the store here you 'll see Kind of all the different applications that they, they build these for. It's a really interesting business that they've gotten themselves into. Everything from Cinema 4D to Affinity Designer and Photos to After Effects to Illustrator, and you can it, and they build all the connections of the things that you you can build this yourself. But the reality is, if you let them do it, they'll build most of the things you need it. <laughs> you know, I found them to be really really useful. But everything that I'm doing with my Plus is related to pre-built things that they built for me. Um, it'd be interesting to have them build something for Companion where it's tying back into that because they're really good at what they do.
3: Um, yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, here's a walkthrough where uh, John Barker shows how he was able to tie it into an ATEM where he's got volume up and down, and, and then he's he builds it in in Companion to where he shows how he uses that dial so that you could rotate it and latch it to Fairlight so that it, in your ATEM you, you're able to rotate now. And I'll, oh, put that's a, I'll put a link to that. So that's another example of just something that you might, if you're an ATEM user, you might want to use it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question.
1: Robert Sababity in Poland. Is Google really serious about faking the Gemini-based video? Was it just a hedging fun hoax, or, hoax, or is this Google's modus operandi? Uh, go good, Courtney. I think they were just trying to get ahead of things by
4: showing what the capabilities of Gemini will be, although they... In their demo, they they did a thing, and they did not. I don't think during the live demo they did not post a disclaimer. But when they uploaded it to uh, uploaded it to YouTube for later, there was a little small disclaimer at the bottom that the the um, response times had been shortened. I mean, people have been doing this in commercials for years. I mean, we've I've worked in commercials. So it was the only thing years. that they that they that they disclaimed was that the response times were slower than what they showed the other thing is that the responses were in text and they vocalized them later so the real-time responses that you heard as a synthesized voice you know it responded in text and later they converted that text to voice uh to for the demonstration uh, I think it will. It is multimodal input and multimodal output, so it will eventually be able to do all of that stuff. But I don't know if they have it all up and working in a, in a time, you know, in a reasonable amount of time to respond with. And it's hard to do a demo where you, you see it doing something, and 20 seconds later, it, it figures out what you're doing and and gets it correct. But in a live demo, that's death, you know. So. Yeah, I- um, I don't know. They I mean, cheated. <laughs> Definitely yeah, cheated. Sure. But I think it's capable of doing all that and all the response they said that all the responses were the real responses. Yeah. And all the prompts were the real prompts just converted to text. Uh text to voice was was uh shortened, you know. Yeah, I uh, as someone who does works on a lot of keynotes and it's like oh.
0: Oh, well. <laughs> like, yeah. like like the, the like like no, you like don't you want just you just sped it up like thing. we we've done ones where we have com, like we we have we've had com, um keynotes where the set of uh, the set of things that you have to do it can do it but the set of them is very complicated to do and then what we did is we just recorded it we recorded it 10 times found the one that we could do it at that speed it's not that you can't do it it just can't do it it's hard to do perfectly every single time without making a glitch and so we would just record it and then we would play it back as the person was clicking or looking like they were clicking on stage. Um, it's not that the product didn't do it and it's just that you want to make it a nice clean um, you know, process. And that's super common, <laughs> like, like, like you know. And so, yeah. so you shouldn't, you, you know, like like the uh, and and cutting time. We cut time all the time, like like all the time. Um, and we very rarely um talk about it during a show that we that we've and and now it's it's like the we call it a Julia Child's move. I mean, literally, it's a Julia Child's process. Um, you know, when we do that, so I don't I don't think that this is. There's not a lot of. They I don't also think it's a hoax. said.
4: They also said that some of the stuff which is shown as video, like the guy you know, drawing the duck here, you know. Mm-hmm. He's got his hands in front of the paper, and it's showing, I see you're drawing, you know, it looks like you're drawing a, a bird of some sort. Then he draws the water, and he said, oh, you're drawing a duck. That they presented it with still, image, you know, they took the right. hands away, so it's not confused by the hands. But uh, but I wonder, because they did demonstrate sleight of hand, and the cups and balls, you know, which yeah. cup has the ball under it. So it's got to be monitoring video to follow that. So. Yeah. I think there is some truth in, in that it's, if it's, it's not just still images that were submitted and yeah, analyzed.
0: I, I think it's probably pretty close to what they, what it can do. <laughs> like it's pretty, I don't think that they were, uh, and and if it's not, it will be soon. I mean, like, n- there's nothing I saw in the Gemini demo that I was like, uh, that, that was, it was great, but it didn't, it wasn't like you landed a 747 and we only had biplanes. I mean, it was like a slightly better, you know, plane than what I saw before. So it's, it's, I mean, but it definitely shows you what's possible and what's coming. Next question.
1: Next one in from uh, Zach Stallsmith in Chautauqua, New York. Has anyone had any experience using the newer PTZO Optics uh, camera management platform? What are your thoughts on the auto tracking software? Good guy.
3: I haven't got to play with it yet, but uh, uh, as I was looking at it, I was reminded that we had these guys on for a second hour after CES. So last year I saw this in the booth and uh, I was so excited about it because they were showing us walking around, you know, just on the trade show floor and it was tracking really well and uh, I was standing next to Jeffrey Powers and so we were playing a little hide and seek, you know, trying to confuse the thing and it, it actually worked really well. I mean, so well that uh, I said, hey, you guys should show this stuff off on, on Office Hours and they, they came in, but I'm going to download this because I have one PTZ optics camera right behind me to test it out on. So if you follow up this question again later in the week, I'll download it uh, after the show and throw it on here and see if we can uh, see what it, dig into it and see what it looks like. Next question.
1: Next one from Carlos Ranconi from Sao Jose dos Campos. Any comments about the Road Mackey acquisition? Good, Courtney.
4: I think they did a good thing. Uh I they're trying to gain uh, market share over Behringer. Behringer, you know, has captured a whole lot of that low-end market of mixtures. And Road and Mackey were competitors in that same uh area. And so Mackey had been falling, you know, over the years. Uh, because the, their analog mixers were, you know, great. And Rode was very good at, at doing the digital mixers. And so it's a good combination, I think, to to combine the what's left of the Mackie line and the Rode line to compete against Behringer, who's competing in both of those areas. So I think it's a smart move. Yeah,
0: I think the manufacturing quality of, of Mackie's, the hardware itself is great, but, you know, we're all p- going past analog mixers. I mean, other than really, really big ones that, and for specific reasons.
1: Uh, I would never put an analog mixer into into my pipeline. Uh, Next question. And it's from Douglas Carmichael asking, when is it better to use a crewing agency for finding and managing freelancers versus hiring them directly? Mitchell. Um, I used to use cruise control. They were kind of big, I guess, out of Washington a lot of freelancers, and I had very good success with them. Don't know if they're still around, but uh, the idea of hiring another group that, that pays attention to the details is great because it's just a line item for a small organization like mine.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different uh, aspects to that. One is, of course, finding people for you. So, especially when we go into a new location, where we don't have a lot of people. Sometimes you do lean into a crewing agent, you know, a crewing partner, to make that actually happen. Also, sometimes they're they're managing all of your um, uh, all the payroll. So, payroll is a big deal. Um, being able to manage all the payroll, the taxes, the things for that lo- location, and so you're just getting a one. As Mitchell said, you're getting a one line off, uh, you know, line item. Um, but you're and you don't have to think about all the extra paperwork. So, if you haven't done work, especially in that. State, it's better to use. Oftentimes, using some kind of crewing or payroll agency to manage that for you. Um, the The other side of that, for the most part, I only do it when we have to. Like, we can't find people, we'll go to crewing. It's much more expensive generally to do, and you have a little bit less control over how you do it. Um, And so, usually, we're building. You know, part of what a production company does is start to build up rolodexes. And if I'm, you know, when I come to a site, I don't. I don't do anything on site anymore. <laughs> so so I, so I sit around and complain about things and watch processes. But one of the big things that I do down there is if I'm sitting on site, I'm identifying the people that I want to keep and not keep. And there's usually on any given thing, there's people that, oh man, I got to have those people on the next shows. There's some people that are like, Oh, eh, Sure. And then there's people like, we're never going to call them again. And so, so the, and, and, and hopefully you don't have to tell them that during the show. We've had a couple where we've had to go, you got to go home now. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, but generally it's like, uh, you know, do not, you know, do not call. They get on the do not call list. And usually it has to do with them being edgy or chatty. Chatty. I, I hate chatty uh, crew. So I don't like people talking about non, of uh, non things, non show things at the show, so um, so that that usually gets you a pretty low on the list pretty quickly, um, and so uh, um, so anyway, so that those are the kind of things. But but we try to build that rolodex as, as fast as we can. In um, in most large cities, we have a pretty good one, and we'd rather do that than crew. But sometimes you get pinched, especially when all your great freelance. If you have great freelancers, it's hard to get them. You don't you know you get a call for something ten days out, and they're all booked because they're.
1: Under, on, you know, the high demand because they're really good. Uh, next question. And it's from Chris Frenwick in Half Moon Bay, California, and here in our panel. I just discovered a feature in Keynote that I never knew existed. Can I share?
2: What did you find, Chris? This might be completely yeah. uh, uh, well known. So, uh, my Mac mm-hmm. Mini here has the, the Zoom ISO set up in it. And, um, So it has five displays. It has the primary uh, Hmm. user interface plus four outputs. If you fire up Keynote and start a slideshow with a whole bunch of displays... You get so many options. You get so many options. So (laughs) I have the, the, the program output. Right. I have... Coming up next slide, I have the hey, this is what you're looking at and this is what's coming up slide. And I even have the speaker notes. Like everything and the fifth display, which I can't show you because it's not piped into my system here, it just has the clock going. Yeah, I was gonna say I was about to say you're missing the clock. The clock is there. Everything, everything (laughs) shows up on its own display. Blew me away. And what what was what what kind of bummed me out is before I had the um before I had the note that said, uh, you know, this is speaker notes in there. At first glance, I went, "Ah, oh, is, that, is that the alpha channel?" <laughs> no, it's, not. <laughs> it's not. It's not just speaker That's notes. Like, why can't it be? But right, it could be. Yeah. But um, I did cool. not know that it broke out. And I wonder—I don't know what the priority is. Like, if I only had,
0: you know, three. Displays, you can define which, them so you can you can there's a you can define all of them so you can say this is where i want this in fact you can move thing, parts of it around you can say this i want this to be ordered or i want this to show up or i want these to be on this monitor so in inside yeah there's you can move a lot of that stuff around and decide which monitors are getting what um, this is because of confidence monitors, or or in, sure. in Europe, comfort monitors, um, that are all down below the, the stage. And so down below the stage, you need to have, you, you want to, you know, you want to have a full screen of what's coming next. You want a full screen of what's, and you want all of those integrated. And, you know, Keynote has been, in most of the major events, you know, again, I've said this before, people give us something else, and then we go, hey, is it okay if we... Uh, you know, we're going to prep these for the, for the show and we're going to, cl- you know, conform them and conforming them means we're going to take your PowerPoint and put it into Keynote unless you're Microsoft uh, recently. <laughs> so many so ways. so, so the, um, uh, so the, um, so, but Keynote has all these tools because a lot of um, presentation and of course you have Apple uses it for their own products and they're pretty picky. And the folks that run, I think the folks that run the their stuff that know a lot about presentations. I so they so that. they it's nice when you have a developer that and, and they and so they've they've added all those. To be fair, I think that I don't think Slides has as many. I do think that PowerPoint has a lot of these tools built into it as well. Um, because it's used in the, in the same way. I don't think it always had it. And I don't know if they work as well. I haven't used them for a long time, but I know that there's a couple different slide options in PowerPoint. So to be fair, I, I don't think it's necessarily only in Keynote. But you don't see it unless you add more monitors. Like it doesn't. It's completely invisible to you until you add a bunch of monitors, and then suddenly it's up there, and you're like, when
2: you get into the monitor, uh,
0: when you get into the display options. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, cool. yeah. I've no, I've never launched it on this machine before, and uh, yeah, I'm I, I mean I remember that the day that keynote was announced, it was at a Mac world, uh, they were still doing Mac world. they were streaming on the internet. It was, it was a really big deal. And the first slide transition happened and I went, that's not PowerPoint. Yeah. That, that was not what, what, what are they, what are they? Cause I mean, in the early nineties, I used to yeah. have people fly me all around the country to make PowerPoint preso so I, I knew PowerPoint pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, I like, think that's like, interesting. The, the big thing for me was
0: when I when I really became angry about PowerPoint went to went to keynote was because I did a presentation actually for Microsoft in Houston, Texas or whatever, and uh, it was all videos. It was very little text or whatever in in the presentation, but it had of course had to be in PowerPoint. It was on a PC. I spent more time getting the videos to work. In this is two thousand. Um, I spent more time getting the videos to work in PowerPoint than I did actually working on the presentation itself, and I was just like, "Oh, this is." And Keynote came out, and you just drag things in, and it was all worked, you know. And next question. Th- oh, go
2: ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. I was gonna. Uh, never mind. Next
1: question. Two sidebar. Flod from Tromso, Norway, asking: We have tried DaVinci Resolve's AI auto-caption to generate subtitles. For the timeline, then we exported the subtitles as an SRT file and uploaded it to a ChatGPT four to proofread and correct spellings. Not happy with the results. Any tips? Good, Courtney. Uh,
4: don't use ChatGPT as your uh, four as your output because I think you know what a large language model does is it creates um, uh, logical sentences based on t- statistics of what what are correct words following correct words. I don't know. Norwegian, so I'm not sure what you were unhappy with, but uh, you can have ChatGPT4 say the same thing four times, and it'll be different each time. So if you want uh, your subtitles to be accurate, if the subtitles are in the same language as the spoken on-camera stuff, if they're just closed captioning uh, without translation... People might get upset if the subtitles don't match what the person is saying, and they understand both languages. So maybe that's what you're running into that is a problem. Uh, it will correct the spellings, but it may not say the same words in the same order as the person said, because it it bases it on its its large language model of you know conveying the idea, but not necessarily in the same words.
0: I have to say I, I did have ChatGPT. I, I wrote a letter. That I needed to write, and then I asked GPT to write it better, like just to improve. What would you do to improve this letter and rewrite it? And it wrote it, and it was so much better than what I wrote. And I was just like, it. It was kind of scary. It, it kind of frightened me of how how amazing it, it 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 broke it down, and it was so much better structured than what I had written. And it took all my stuff and put it all in different places. Like it, it didn't just like clean up a couple sentences. It like rebuilt it. Like I was, it's it is a. It's a kind of an amazing thing. Uh, next question.
1: From Robert Sababity in Poland. Has anyone tried running Mimo Live on the same Mac as Zoom ISO and using the Zoom ISO outputs as Mimo Live inputs? This will also allow for ISO recording.
2: Hey, go ahead, Chris. So, Robert, if you do try this, whatever you do, don't open up your Amazon wish list at the same time. I mean, this, this definitely falls into the category of you might be trying to do too much on one computer. So I know I haven't tried it though. I do this every week for this is how I use it with Michael Krasny's
0: show. So I have a Zoom ISO open. Um, I pop it open. It delivers audio via loopback to um, to uh, audio hijack to record that I put. I just put the two participants in left and right channel. Send it there. I'm also sending audio to a mix pre so it's getting the local mic as well as the remote mic. I'm then cutting the show. You know during during that in you know so I'm cutting the show in memo streaming it out and i'm at like maybe 50% capacity or 50 55% on a studio um but it totally works and and i'm and i tested it over this earlier earlier this week over doing it literally adding all the records also the iso records and and all the things and i'm now up to um I, this is where i'm up to like 53% of capa- of utilization so it totally wow. works yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's pretty efficient and uh, up, have you have you opened up your amazon Wish I did not open up my Amazon wish list. I will admit, when I do this, I restart. I then I cut. I close everything else that could be possibly running, except for Chrome, which is actually a pretty big thing. Um, uh, but I, I I leave Chrome open because I have to manage. Uh, I'm looking at the questions coming in live.
2: So the good takeaway for this, I know we're at the top of the hour. The good the good takeaway from this is, as you do these things, test like literally one layer at a time. Don't add two of, or three things. I got I got it working on the show, and and I but test for hours
0: you know like it's yeah. not it's not even just test a little bit but I've been testing for hours to make that work yep. and and finding all kinds of problems and then you know, like, oh, I gotta figure this out um, usually Saturdays are the days that I do that <laughs> Saturday afternoons I'll spend, I spent like four hours this last Saturday kind of rebuilding how it works and the graphics and the ISOs and everything else um, but that's usually Saturday afternoon is usually my time to to figure that out uh, next question
1: Next question in from Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona, just checking in to see if there's still a process for getting a 1080 Zoom account. Is it possible from a pro account or is a business or enterprise necessary? I'll go ahead, Guy.
3: Yeah, I was a little confused on this one myself. I thought that there was an, an announcement last month that uh, they were opening it up to everybody, but it still says on the site that it's been updated here uh, last month in November, but I got burned bad on Sunday, um, a webinar, I'm still angry because I had to re-edit something today because it should have just been able to be a shared recording via Zoom, but instead I produced a nice 360p webinar and I am not happy because the account that it was on was not mine and it was somebody else's and I was assured it was an HD account and it was 360p. The bummer was that we were using that to transmit to overflow rooms so I got to produce a show in 360p and it was glorious.
0: I do believe that this, if you have the Sessions license, you, you can get to 1080p. But I'm not 100. So I think you have to buy the Sessions yeah, the Sessions license. Yeah, if you, you have
3: a v- Zoom events, then all that is is uh, 1080. So, right. and, but that's I think you only need way all
0: of Zoom events. I think you just buy the Sessions. Yeah. Um, uh, Add on so That's it's it 's a hundred bucks or something like that to I think it 's one hundred dollars a year or something like that to,
3: but as far to as uh, Jack getting his, I would just try and make the request right now i think they 've loosened up the proof strings on that because you know it 's a bandwidth issue, and during COVID it was expensive because they had to you can definitely up so get a seven twenty
0: but the ten eighty I think requires you to pay for it yeah the seven twenty is free though if you ask. Um, uh, we are about to jump into the second hour. Uh, just a quick reminder, Wednesday we have the X32 lab. Uh, Thursday we're building LUTs. Friday we're going to talk about power. Uh, Saturday, of course, is our R&D um, and Q&A and Sunday is introspection. So uh, those are those are things that are coming up. Of course, we have also the lab coming up uh, at noon. The question was really how quickly can I put all those things together as we answer the question a little longer. <laughs> anyway, so uh, just a quick reminder, of course, that that uh, uh, we do have a lab at um, at, at noon uh, Pacific Standard Time and 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, learning how to do, be a panelist and do all these other things, you can jump in then. Uh, we're really glad to have Alex Goelner back and we're going to talk about uh, lower thirds. Uh, we, we talked, I promise that we'll actually talk about lower thirds today. Uh, last time there were so many great questions that we didn't actually get to the process. So we're not gonna explain anything about motion now other than just how to how to jump into it, but we're, uh, but Alex Goldner's back. And Alex, you know, for all of you watching, if you didn't watch last week is just, one of the most technically amazing motion users in the world um, and has an incredible amount of, of broadcast background. And so it's just really an honor to have Alex here to show us how he puts these things together and how we get them through there. So welcome back, Alex.
5: It's great to see you again. Um, but also, if you do have any questions about lower thirds, we can ask them a little bit later.
0: But we- Yeah. Yeah. So if you have other questions, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we get through what we promised. Um, about, you know, to show you the actual mechanism of this. But if you have questions about motion, or if you have questions about uh, lower thirds and the creation and, and the getting them into Final Cut and everything else, go ahead and throw those questions in. Of course, you can use uh, Makana, uh, but you can also, and ask those questions, um, you can also use the QR code and you just go to, go to askofficehours.global. So, and you can ask questions all day using that. Um, so go ahead and, and use either one of those. We'll keep our eye on both of them. But if you have those questions, go ahead and throw them in. Um, we will get to them, um, but we're going to be pretty focused for the moment on getting uh, to making sure that we actually show you. So, so Alex, I'm going to throw it over to you and have you kind of walk us through how you build these inside emotion.
5: So, um, hello everyone, uh, just to remind you, I'm not a trainer, but I know some stuff. Uh, so I'll just keep on stumbling through, not necessarily having too much of a demo ready, but just make stuff up as I go along, uh, but not go too far. And then if you've got any questions, I'll try doing different things, and at least that's my unplanned it's plan. That's perfect. perfect. So I'm going to share my screen, and then we're going to see uh, what we get um, in terms of can you see my cursor. So um, here we are in Final Cut. Can you see my cursor? It's so big.
0: All right. It's good. It's good. We can definitely see your cursor.
5: Yes, definitely. So here we are in Final Cut and um, I'm the kind of person that has lots of categories of titles here because I like lots of titles and as you can see, I do make some for the BBC as well as other people. So um, a shortcut to hide all this stuff is to do that so you don't have to see that. So here we are in Final Cut and we want to add a lower third there. So I'm just going to switch straight to motion. Here we are in motion, if you choose new, uh, you get a new file, I'm going to choose a Final Cut title. Keep it relatively short, maybe something like uh, four seconds long, and I'm going to do 25 frames a second because I'm in the UK. So you can make other things in motion, but we're making a title, which is a uh, lower third is a kind of uh, title. So here, we are, as we saw before, it defaults to showing some text over here. I'm going to make this a little narrower and i'm going to move and for through, that guys, title background that's just here.
0: reference right so if you're putting a title if you put something in the title background that's just so you can see something or is it, does that actually go
5: out well the thing is that this does go out this clip here if i this represents whatever uh, layers or other clips with the titles on top of so right. if i animate this title say for example over time i'll just get this thing playing and if i move this thing around i'm not keep the for, video I'm, It'll actually move the whole video behind the title. So right. it's actually a way, if you like, of animating so your title actually affects the clip in the background. And it doesn't not even just the whole clip. We can get a mask it and use part of the clip and blur it, for example. So I could select this part here, the lower part, and blur it if I like to. So this defaults to whatever duration I chose, and it says type text here
0: and the idea is sorry I so know. i just i'm going to come back to you, i'm going to interrupt sure, you there let's do it. you said something that was really important that i just didn't think of before of using this cuz i usually think of these as just titles mm. so you could take the background and you can do all kinds of effects to it right so you could do so that that image says if you're going to throw that title over top of that video i could blur it as you said before but you could also darken it apply other mm. other other thing. you could could you do all of those things to it
5: sure absolutely so i've got the title uh, background selected at the moment and i can choose make clone layer or press the k key now i've got a clone of that layer Mm. and usually i apply effects to the clone so let's go to blur and let's do a nice uh, defocus which is more like a kind of lens blur type thing Mm. and i've got this control here i can choose let's say i'm going to have all the parameters of this effect here sorry filter and I'm gonna publish them all, which means that they'll be available in Final Cut Pro.
0: Right. If you don't publish them, so, and and, and this is this is the important part, if you don't publish them, when they go over to Final Cut, they won't be there. So, so you can say, I want these settings to be a certain way, and I mm. want them to go into Final Cut, and then um, I don't want uh, the editor, as the editor, I don't wanna think about that. I don't wanna accidentally tweak it. And as mm. the creative director, I don't want my editors changing those things. I want them. I want those things to stay the same. I want to give them what they need to to be effective. I don't want to give them more sliders than they need to get something Absolutely. done.
5: Yeah. yeah, so this is more the you play, have a go with the kind of footage in Final Cut if you like, or you can do it, the footage here. But if you want to just have a fun tool to play with, then you publish everything. Uh, so this is more about the motion graphics people amongst you, I would say.
0: But And also, though, you could build a mask. So for instance, I mean, I don't know why you'd want to do this, but you, with the the clone that you're doing there, you could mask it. Or is that what you're going to do now? Let's crop it.
5: Yes. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to do something quite simple. So I'm going to show the cr- crop tools. And then i'm going to make it so you can publish the i'm going to publish the top crop Mm. so and then i'm gonna of course that range isn't very good you notice how the range here is not great but we'll come back to that later so i'm going to crop it to about there so if i select the project layer it shows and i click project it shows me the controls that I got from defocus, the amount, the gain, the shape, the aspect ratio, the crop, and also this is the crop of the actual, the area. So I'm going to say, um, blurred area. So I can just select any of these parameter names and give them more sensible names because otherwise they, they may not make sense to the person actually using it. So I'm going to very quickly choose, um, save and I'm going to create a, give it a name, which is like, um, lower third oh and i can give it a theme which means it'll appear in one of those groups that you saw earlier in final cut so i'm going to choose new theme and i could type in one here but as you can see i've got too many of these already in fact i do have one already called silly no it's true if there's one called office hours no so i can do office hours i thought i did um so So it's useful to divide your uh, title templates into groups sometimes so um actually i was doing the wrong thing let's forget this theme business because it's too irritating to explain it's a category uh, i'll come back to that later so category office hours so i just click publish and nothing seemed to happen but if i go back to final cut
0: and Final Cut's open. It's not like you had to close it yeah. and shut it or reload anything. It's just
5: there. So here we are. Um, we've got a lower third O. I can double click it to attach it to the timeline here. And you can see there's a bit of blurring happening here. So I need to find a bit where, yeah, we can see it more clearly at this section here. but it's quite a subtle blur. So what I can do, the controls that you saw earlier are gonna be in this tab up here. So this is what you publish. Yeah, so I'm gonna blur a lot more. If I run out of space here, I can drag upwards and keep on blurring and blurring and blurring like this. Um, And I can choose, this is where I'm, remember that thing that kind of crop tool? So I've got this kind of choosing the area, how much to crop up the top. We'll come back to this later maybe. But as you can see, this is not a Gaussian blur, this is a proper lens blur, Um, so I can Because any of the
0: effects, the motion engine, anything in the motion engine is the same processing that's happening
5: in Final Cut, right? Yes, so essentially all the things you see in Final Cut actually were made, nearly all of them, 99% of them were made in motion, all the titles and effects and stuff like that were uh, titles and filters in, in, in motion. So I can change some quite nice effects with this blur here. And uh, let's say I've got a polygon. I want it to be um, a square. And I can rotate 90 degrees. Now, you can't see some of these things here. So I can let's zoom in here and move over to this thing. OK. So this is the principle of what's called a placeholder. So essentially what we were going with there was the fact that if I go back to, uh, motion, this is the title background placeholder and it's whatever, whatever footage and clips are underneath, um, in the, in the below. So I don't know if I've got much media in here. Um, it's me being lazy. Yeah. I don't really have any footage, but let's say for example, I create another, um, get a generator and put something in there, like, like, I don't know, I got a grid somewhere, I think, just for me, and it will notice it's It's blurring, yeah, everything below it, like that, which, yeah, so it's it's essentially all all this combined together is comp together, and then it's sent to this title.
0: and this is one of the reasons that I wanted to show the lower thirds here and how this works inside of Final Cut is this is a superpower that almost nobody knows exists. I mean, there's just so few people that use motion for these, these titles and just don't understand like how deep and how powerful the title generation stuff is. I mean, you know, this is the way to build titles for Final Cut. <laughs> you know, so
5: Yes. I mean, of course, I'd love it if uh, Motion templates and they had an extension for uh, Media Composer on the Mac. That would be amazing and a good. And uh, I strongly suggest Apple should do that. Um, so now it is possible with this title background here, if I see if I can find this media, uh, that would probably be a good idea. I can actually temporarily um, reveal in browser. Let's see where this actually. Well, I'm going to try dragging it straight into motion. I don't know if you can even do that. It looks like you can't. <laughs> that's the thing. I might as well try something new. You never know what you're going to yeah, get. Because, you know,
0: we're only, you know, in a show, you know. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, what I can do is drag this straight into the background. And this is now being used. Any footage I like can be used as this background. So, I can actually put that ba- down this year. But, but when you
0: save that out, that won't be part of the export, right? That title no. background. That's just for
5: reference. No that 's just for me to be able to do what I need to do, so this is so we can see what we 're doing and say for example, this type is a little light, especially if it was over here, but with this title background I can always clear it and it goes back to what I would, what would be the default so um, notice so we've got this clone layer up here um, selected, I go to properties, and I've got this crop parameter remember it was called top. And it kind of varies in a kind of weird way that the number starts at zero up here, which is much too high, much too low. And effectively say you wanted to go the other way. Say you wanted this to And um, you're using crop
0: here, but you could use a mask, right? That way you could and and theoretically soften that mask.
5: Yeah. Um so crazy thing is um oh yeah absolutely i mean i could i i i could use a rectangle as a mask instead um yeah. and then change the blur on that or change the parameters on the blur so uh, let's say if i go to this i can choose to unpublish that got the clone layer yeah. i'm going to uncrop that and then i can add a mask so let's Hard to see, of course, because um, it's it's a mask of the same. what I can do is make this invisible, so I can see what how I'm working, and then I can select the mask, and then these could be published, for instance. So I could.
0: But yeah, there you have like a, you could publish them. the feather, so you can make it so it's not like a straight line across that you could blur it, but it's blurred. You know that that effect is blurred into.
5: Yeah. So I could. Now the question is, you know, make this move with a type. And do other things like that are more tricky, but possible to do in terms yeah. of um, make the blurred area and the background move with the, with this text box because we've got this text box here and we've got this rectangle mask and it's interesting if you look at these anchor points, they're kind of similar. But you could
0: like move the anchor point to the bottom and then scale, you know.
5: Sure. So say here's. Here's a tip. Um, Behaviors are very powerful things. Um, Essentially what people like in After Effects is they like to be able to link one thing to another um, using a pick whip. So I got this rectangle mask and it's got this position. Um, So if I say, okay, I want to link this parameter, the position of this rectangle mask to the actual text box. I'm dragging this on here. And now, the advantage is if I move the text box, this moves with it okay so what i can do with this mask now go to the mask and i can choose the size let's say let's say i want to mess with the height of this so let's make it uh, 200 and i'm gonna um, publish this in order to make this kind of clearer what i'm doing i'm just gonna select the clone and i add another filter to it and i can choose I don't know, something simple like brightness, and then I can darken it a little bit. So I can say uh, 0.7 and publish that. So to go back to what we, the parameters available in the project, we've got all this stuff to do with the blur. Let's get rid of that one because we're going to, to unpublish it. And this is uh, blur area height. because that is the height of this rectangle mask and the brightness of the area. So I might want to move these to the top so these are more important. So you can just drag them to the top. And then it's probably a good idea to call this, to give these better names. So you know what you're doing, but I won't rename all those. And also it's a good idea to link, uh, to rename these what I call behaviors. So same, um, pause as text, text layer. (laughs) anyway let's go to this i'm going to choose save just as it is and then if i go back to final cut pro it's already done right like it's it if you update it
0: you don't have to i mean if you it'll just update what it's doing right
5: yeah so i'm going to go to this is—I must admit—this is sometimes a mystery to me in terms of when it up, sometimes it updates just that same instance will, or sometimes you one just drags another one or no, another one on top. Right. I'm just going to get rid of that because it's a bit distracting. Go back to here. Oh yeah. So let's do that, and I can change the height of the blur now. The fun part of it is, if I select this box, text boxes default trans are movable in Final Cut. So I'm moving this box and it's the blur, the box is changing, is matching the position of it, which is quite handy. Um, so I could put this here and then I can select this and increase the amount of blur, the size of the box maybe you should make it much more really get my point across don't really need to make it quite so bright now notice that it's i think yeah polygon to so you can kind of mess with your bokeh if you want um, and this is kind of strange to do with uh, your lens but anyway so this is an example of how A single link parameter can do quite a lot to link uh, a cropped area. Yeah. (laughs) So I can go back to motion. So that's the kind of thing that happens over the whole duration of the title. You notice that. But what I might want to do is have everything fade in and then maybe fade out. So to be lazy, I'm just going to go basic motion, fade in, fade out and this means it'll fade in over 20 frames and fade out over 20 frames. Um so let's make it something a little, maybe a little faster. That's and half you, a second. And you can yeah. see
0: that right when you look at the fade in fade out you I mean when when you open that project up you'll see the t- in the timeline. Yeah. And you can you know you can have that there but you could also move the so instead of keyframing there's like a um yeah, you can see it in the and, and what you're seeing at the very bottom is the function of the operant, oper, operator uh, over time, you know. So that's the yeah. so we call it the F curve, um, that's that's uh,
5: that's there. So but there aren't any mis- keyframes yeah. now. There's a slight mistake here is the fact that the, the actual background is also getting faded in and faded in and out because it's inside this right. big group here. So, what I need to do, um, is just I'll just drag this out, maybe if I It's always a bit of fun when I try to get, it's the top level, so I'm just going to group the background and give it a name. Makes it slightly easier for it to work, so I'm going to move it out. Name as you go, name as you go. So now what's happening is that this behavior that was attached to here, the fade in, fade out, is attached to this group. Of the type and the clone layer. By the way,
0: what, the thing that, that Alex said very very quickly, and just kind of, I just want to underline it name as you go. It is so easy. It is so easy in motion to build up a bunch of layers and then look at them and go, I have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> and what does generic.generic.final dot, dot mean? Like, like, you know, like it's, you know, because I dragged, because that was the, the asset name or whatever. Uh, so renaming what it does while you're working is super useful.
5: Anyways, so I'm right. going gonna, gonna to save that and then go back to Final Cut. Or, as the Americans say, final cut. Uh, it's a subtle distinction. So, if I do this, <laughs> and then. Uh, so, this is coming on like that, which is quite nice. You know, it's blurring, right. fading on, and then.
0: Right. So, you can f- add all these, you can add all of these little um, uh, behaviors. And the great thing about the behaviors, as opposed to uh, keyframing them, is that you can really get lost in a lot of. And a lot of frames, you know a lot of keyframes, you can start to have lots of them and and here these are something that are very easy to adjust if you grab onto the um i believe if you grab onto that behavior um you you'll see it as a layer and you can you can actually you can move it in there, but you can also move it the the actual length of the layer right um, oh, yes the,
5: so uh, this applies to the whole layer uh, at the, the whole group at the moment, but I could. Um, apply it to anything, so I could just drag this to only the text. But you can also grab onto it, the, that fade in, the fade duration. out effect itself, oh, yes, and just exactly. grab onto it. It's
0: got yeah, a little so bit I odd. could,
5: so I can have it. This doesn't make. Unfortunately, it only it doesn't apply. It only applies to the opacity parameter right. over when it's applied. So at the moment, this kind of happens, in which it starts off fully hundred percent and then fades on. So you right. kind of have to. Uh, but obviously, if I was doing something else. That would be yep. fine. It's very useful sometimes to change the animation speed of something just by dragging it. Yep. It's very useful. So let's say I want to uh, move this move this up, for example. So let's see. As you can see, it's moving up over time. So what I can do is, that, okay, let's make it move in. Move in. Now at the moment, it's moving to 0, 0. Um, let's see. Let's say I want to move from off screen. So notice, notice how I, you can see this, what it's going to do here in terms of, you can see its Y position is being controlled by this behavior. But the fun part of it is that I can choose different parameters. I can change the settings. You can immediately see what it's going to happen. So I want this to move from a value because I want it to move from off screen. So I want to choose from, and then I drag downwards to say, okay, I want it to come from down here. So now this is coming off. notice this is applying the move behavior to the text box and the, clone la- the mask of the clone layer, this one, is just moving with it. So I don't have to worry about the mask anymore because it's just connected to whatever the coordinates are of this. So just to show you, we've got a little cog here that shows you that it's, the blending is being controlled by a behavior. And little and some cogs on the coordinates because it's being controlled by this move behavior. And yet, what Alex said was right: is the fact that if I want it to happen more quickly, I can just do that. And as you can see, it happens; it'll happen over this period of time, and war could happen over a longer period of time. So let's it say, up. yes, exactly. It's a bit too bit too creepy. So we'll do that, Alex. How do you ease that? Luckily, there is a speed control here, so you can say like that, and then it immediately shows you the shape of the curve. So even though we've got these F curves, and what I would call a kind of keyframe graph, um, it's really useful having these here, so you can actually see what you're doing as you do it. Um, So you've also got a pretty similar-looking curve here, but that's quite nice. Um, Let's make this minus 700 or something like that so i'm going to i would just press i'm going to choose save go to final final cut Uh i'm just going to drag it on here and this comes on now uh just as a, a by the way i can type in whatever text here of course um, and of course these typefaces, it's any type of typeface you like. And
0: can you of, um, turn a lot of those things off if you want to, as far as the publishing? Do you still have those same controls?
5: You can make it so there's no control of the typeface at all. You can make right. it so that this is not even visible. Or you can just choose the font, or you can just choose the... Yeah. So uh, there's a way of doing that. So let's go back to... I, I just Command-Tab to go back here. At the moment, with titles um, like this, I go to Text, um, It's defaults to editable in FCP. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be at all. Which means if I do this, slight catches, they won't be able to move it afterwards. But that's not. We'll, we can sort that out later. But with the text here, I can say, okay, I need to publish that text because there has to be a way of modifying it. So if I go back to the project, and have my text, and then as soon as you make it so it's not editable directly in Final Cut, then that tab in Final Cut, the one with the fonts and stuff like that, will not appear, and everything. This would not—you won't be able to choose anything else, any different. Or you font can choose or color to, it, or, or you can publish it yeah.
0: to, or not. You know, you could say,
5: "I want to let them." Oh, yeah. So I can publish just the fonts, for instance, right? Or
4: the size. I have a, a question on publish. Uh, so whenever you click publish in in Motion, it mm-hmm. applies those properties that allows them to be changed in Final Cut. Uh, yeah. So is there any way to? Go back and recover something, a property that you've deleted that that you haven't, if you've unpublished that you discover later that you want to have control over in Final Cut or do you have to go back to Motion, add that property back in and publish it to get it back uh, in Final Cut?
5: Yes, you do have to do it in um, motion. You can't get any of these parameters back. Um, and and I
0: think that's partially by design. You know, that's a, that, like, I think that Prevent the
4: editors from messing around with your yeah. creativity.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it also, it's just keeping it simple, um, you know, but you can, you know, it is definitely from an art director's perspective, it is a very, you know, useful process to say this is what you get to change like I don't and and I, I will say as I use these I use these together as my when I go into Final Cut I don't want those things like I just want to be able to grab onto the thing I don't want to accidentally grab something or accidentally move something I just want what I and a lot of times if you're in I mean Alex is jumping back and forth but if you have two monitors oftentimes this is on the same computer and there's just two different monitors and you're making an edit hitting save reapplying and making it you know anything else that you need there
4: um and in order to to change it in motion, do you have to have that same project in other words, if the let's say you 've got a title designer who's creating all the titles for show and he unpu you know, he he locks a lot of the parameters and then sends it over to the editor and The editor discovers that you know well the background that we 're going to use these titles over is a different color, and the colors that he chose clashes. Does he have to, if the editor then wants to change it, he has to be able to access motion and have the same, the full project from motion, motion project, in order to make the changes? It's not, in this
5: respect, it is much more simple than the way that After Effects does it. So say, say for example, somebody has given you an installer, it's possible to build installers, that install these in the right place. I'm just going to put this back on the timeline just again, like here. So now I've got this, and oh, look, I can't edit the font. I can't do anything here because I made it so that I, but I can type the text in here. This is the text. But as you can see, it's not exactly uh, text safe. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can choose that we've got this kind of problem, Um, but we, but some features are available. But what I can do in Final Cut, if I can select this and choose, well, I'll do it here if i control hold down the control key and choose reveal in finder i can even choose to actually open in motion so this will actually open the thing in motion and what you supply people or what you get is a motion file it's a single motion file so one title one file so it's not like after uh, after effects where you've got one project and then multiple mogits
0: so and it's one of those things. Like for for those, like for I have a lot of the FX factory stuff, and you get it all, and it works all in Final Cut. But you hit that, and you open up the motion file to dig through it and make adjustments, and as best you can. <laughs> a, lot time, a lot of times, a lot of times they're 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 harder to edit than they look. But but as best you can, if you want to change certain elements or do other things that are deeper into it, you can.
5: So um, what I what I'm doing now is that I'm just changing it so that the this text box kind of works a little bit better Um, so I've got this thing coming on and um, I'm just going to explain the thing about timing because there's obviously there's a slight problem if I make this title longer then the animation will happen more slowly so I'm just going to show you that again I've got this title coming on Uh, I'll just add it again I'm going to put it here And then the advantage is one advantage is that I can make it if I need to make this title longer and shorter. I should move it over here. I'm option dragging by the way, and I make the duration of this much longer. Um, this is hard to see, <laughs> so what I need to do, I'll move this over here. Idiot, um, I'm going to call this B, maybe. So I'll do it over there, and then you guys I can't see the zoom controls, but oh, there you go. So my point, as you can probably guess, what I'm going to say is the fact that if I, if you watch the A come up, it comes up quite normal speed, but the B takes longer to come up. If you say you watch A and B now, and B is slow. Because I made it longer. Because what happens is if you get any of these titles and change their duration, then all the animation just gets spread out over all. It's, it's not time. yeah,
0: it's it's stretching all of that, right? anything that's yeah. it just grabs all of it and just pulls
5: it apart. Yeah, which we often we usually <clears throat> don't want. By the way, just so you know, this is a thirty P timeline and it's quite happy at me using 25p uh, titles on it. Final Cut really doesn't mind, there's no problems with uh, frame rate at all. Um, So if this is interlaced, then it would animate um, each of this, this this movement would happen on every field. Because
0: it's doing it it in seconds, right? And then just doing whatever frame rate, doing it at whatever frame rate it has.
5: So what I want to make it do is, so I want this to come on or always take the same time to come on this, the the letter, however long, I've set the duration. So how do you make some parts stretchy and other parts not stretchy is a way of putting it. So I'm going to use this so I can see the full, how long it takes for this to come in. I think this is maybe, yeah, I'm just going to go and move. Just, how do I move my uh, zoom controls? This is the bit that I kind of forget how to actually make the the drag. Oh, there you go. Sorry, pardon me. You can't see me do this, but I can. So I can see from this curve that the, the move finishes at this point. And if I select the fade in, fade out, that's probably taking a bit too long. So I can say I want the fade in time to stop there. So I want this to always be the same, this to be stretchy and this to always take the same. And the way you do that was with mark markers. So with the project selected, I choose Mark Markers. <laughs> Let's try deselecting the, the project layer, but having nothing selected here and choose Mark Markers Add Marker. And then with that marker selected here, go to Mark Markers Edit Marker. This is not straightforward. But if you say I, I, want, ex-
0: I was today's years old when
5: I knew I could do this with markers, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like this is incredible. So, uh, okay, yeah. So uh, there's there's a choice between a build-in, and a, so the build-in marker will be everything up to that point is going to take exactly that duration. In this case, twenty frames at twenty-five frames a second, twenty-five frames a second. So I'm going to set it to optional. I um, Can't change the name. And it shows a special dashed area to say, this is bit is going to be stretchy. So if I put this on the timeline and this bit will be stretched equally in order. So this is uses the fixed duration. So I'm going to do the fade out. It's going to be here and I'm going to choose. Uh, now, if I choose markers, I can add a marker, but it's going to add the marker to this behavior. So watch it, make sure with, uh, you deselect everything because I'm using the sh- keep or shortcut Shift-Command-A to
0: use... So, yeah, so you of can add the markers to the whole project, or you can add them just to specific attributes.
5: Yeah. And this only applies to the whole timeline, the, these these special markers. Um, so I've got this type s- standard, it's a standard marker, so I'm going to say an optional build-out.
2: Okay. That means and this Alex, is always going to take when a you time. say optional, that means you're going to get the checkbox to be able to turn it on or off? Is that correct? Absolutely.
5: So I select it here, and it's got a couple of added some pr- parameters up here to say build and build build in and build out so i'm gonna say and I'll, you could say because build some people may not do so um animate on maybe fade off maybe if you want to be a bit more detailed about what it does and you might want to you can actually set a default here because often i think people actually don't want to fade it off uh, or there's sometimes they might want to not want to because they may want to go to a cut so let's default it to not fading off, which means that I'll put it on the timeline, it'll show all this and stretch this to the correct length, but not show this bit. So I'm going to choose Save, go to Final Cut, Final Cut, and select Lower Third. If I double click, um, I'm just going to put some, say we got this Lower Third thing. Um Chris Fenwick, let's call you Alex Fenwick because we should all be called Alex Fenwick. So that's coming on here. I This is the older version. This is to let you know with this actual uh, lower third selected, if I double click lower third, the new version, it's copied the text that was there. And then now uses the new version, including these new settings up here. So now when we look at this and I animate it on, that animates on in proper duration, and then it will cut off. It won't fade out at the end. So I'm just going to get this and I'm going to get another one. Um, Let's say. Then make it much shorter but it's still the animation will still take the same time. So what happened was that the in part is always going to take the same time and the rest of all that duration is happening between here and it's being squashed down into this space here.
0: And fade off is turned off. Right?
5: Yes. So then what I might want to do is turn that on. And what it is secretly doing is it's just going to play this bit at the end. Sorry, I'm just doing it quick to jump to one to the other and then we wait for a moment and then it fades off. But notice that <laughs> looks like only the text is fading off,
1: uh,
5: yeah, I think I need to change where that fade out thing is being applied to interesting, yeah, um, so okay, that's. Are there any questions? Yeah, there are.
0: Let's jump into the questions, um, that's a, I mean, because that's exactly what we wanted to sh- I mean, show you, what we can show more uh, based on your questions, but also just talk about motion, but really understanding this incredible connection between motion and Final Cut and being able to design very complex solutions that are very flexible and have them really happening in, uh, in real time. Uh, Courtney, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask? No. Let's go to the, let's go to the first question.
1: Okay, from Tony Mobley in Noon in Georgia, is it practical to purchase Motion if you don't have access to Final Cut?
0: The answer is yes. For me, <laughs> I use Motion more than I use Final Cut. Like I, I produce documents in Motion all the time, like without without Final Cut at all. Yeah, go ahead, Alex.
5: Absolutely. It's it started off from 2004 until 2011. It couldn't make templates of Final Cut Pro directly. Uh, it could make. Kind of templates, but not ones that appeared straightforwardly in Final Cut. So it was Apple's version of After Effects, but that lives inside the GPU as opposed to the CPU. So yeah, it's a it's a has, as I said last week, it has seventy five percent of the features of After Effects for uh, two months worth rental, um, and but ninety five percent of the features you actually use if you don't do much compositing.
0: Well, and also, and then it has a whole bunch of things that doesn't occur. You know, like the behavior, when you start getting used to the behaviors and the replicators and we haven't even started talking about those. We'll try to drag Alex back in to talk more about those things. But those are, you know, it, it really, um, you know, it's got a lot of, a lot of
4: tools to it now. Go ahead, Courtney. So if you're using Premiere and you use Motion, you could just create green screen backgrounds or black backgrounds to use them as lower thirds and then publish them as, render them out as that and then bring them in as an object in, uh, final, uh, in uh, Premiere.
5: Yes, I'm absolutely. I mean, what I'm hoping for one day, given the nature of titling in, on Media Composer especially, is that a uh, enterprising assistant editor decides to make all their lower thirds and graphics in Motion to, to be used in uh, future films, because that would work very well in terms of media management and uh, replacing with the same piece of media and just exporting to the same place. So you do get a little bit of that as well in terms of exporting to the same place with the same file name. Um, it's, it's the way we used to use Motion. And you can't just export it in
0: four, 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 4, I mean, you, you can, in 4 by 4 so you can send it out with an alpha channel. So you can send alpha, yeah.
1: All right. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I just wanted to point out how, how similar uh, using uh, Premiere and uh, Motion, or excuse me, Essential Graphics and Mogurt files, almost spot on exactly what you're doing here with uh, Motion. It would be nice if you could, again, I was going to say, would it be nice if you could uh, uh, use them counter, uh, uh, mm-hmm. intuitively at any time you need?
0: Next next question. uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex.
5: Sorry, pardon me. Uh, Essentially, uh, the Moguts were uh, inspired, obviously, by the do list, which was like, okay, how does it work in Final Cut? Let's do that. And they've done as much as they can. And they've added some new things that are slightly better, like you can group lots lots of parameters and and subgroup them, which is very good inside uh, Premiere made in, in made in After Effects. So there are a few ledges, but there's lots of things that can't be done for, as easily, such as on-screen controls and lots of things and making transitions and lots of other stuff that's We haven't even talked about on-screen
0: it. controls. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, next question.
1: Next question from James Fosling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, have you created any naming conventions to reference for your renaming on the fly?
5: um it's really just for me so i kind of uh i don't i mean i I, one of the features i've actually asked for the motion team is a automatically automatically rename based on what i've just chosen using a template of my choice that's what i'd like so if i link one for one thing to another and i say rename based on my template it should be able to but it doesn't that doesn't exist yet so no i just sometimes say anchor point from and then the name of the other layer that kind of thing or scale from or scale times this. So I actually have to type stuff in and I have just, as I go, I just have to, essentially if you look at the free t- my free plugins at alex4d.com slash free one or free two, I've named everything in there and explains how things work. So it's worth opening them up and having see how things link together. Next question.
1: Stefan Fischer from Wurzburg, Germany. Does all that only work with Final Cut or can the lower thirds also be used with Resolve?
5: Sadly, only Final Cut. So I would, obviously, if I was uh, Apple Final Cut, I, I would make it so that these templates could be used in any video app on the Mac, and then it will be up to each developer to make them those templates work in there. That's a big Apple tri- thing to do, and also big for each developer to do, because they want to maintain cross-platformness. Well, isn't, uh,
0: isn't, I mean, technically, isn't Motion just an XML XML file? So someone could build a an impur- importer.
5: Yeah, I mean, of course, The motion playback system is inside your iPhone because that's essentially the thing that is used inside clips in an iMovie is is the motion template engine. And so those are created on motion, those templates that appear inside clips, which is Apple's social media app. Um, So so, so to
0: underline that, we're talking about Final Cut, but you could build things in motion and then export them out and use them and give them to people to use in clips.
5: Unfortunately, no. I just know okay. that this is how Apple created them. So if you okay. look inside that's, that's the, say, IPA, like, that's a whole new thing too. Yeah. No. So if you look inside the Apple's, uh, you know, iPod, uh, you know, so iPod, mm-hmm. uh, iPhone app uh, container, and you click inside, then you can see those are just made in motion. Uh, so it would be really nice if. So that what that means is the app doesn't get any bigger, but it, the iOS and iPad OS have the ability to play back motion. Uh, templates Would they maybe the playback mm. engine isn't built into the apps it's just part of the operating system so if mm. it is it would be nice if keynote played them back and word and resolve but not yet unfortunately yes. yeah
0: i'd love to have more back and forth between keynote and motion like there's a lot of be- keynote behaviors that i would love to have in motion <laughs> <laughs> because you know because they're just they're just nice and fun and, and easy and it'd be fun to be able to just add them to an object so um next question
1: I think uh, Alex just answered this one, but we're going to shoot anyhow. Robert Shoji from Los Angeles. Has Alex created a group of motion lower thirds that are available for us to use and learn from?
5: Absolutely, yes. So you can see how um, things work in there, including this one lower third in which uh, the letters are blown away by leaves, as this are their leaves. So it starts off with just, they blow into place. And then at the end they blow away. So it's using a behavior in order to do that. And you can see the in mar- the markers for in and out there. And um yeah, have, see how it works. <laughs> so that's available yeah, in alex4d.com slash free one. And there's quite there's like sixty templates there, including some titles in the lower thirds. so you can see how they will put together. You can open up the motion and see how I did it. And I'll actually have to look at the documentation to remind myself how I did it as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next question. Robert Sababity in Poland asks, Alex, what information would I need to include in the brief to you if I wanted to ask you to prepare lower thirds for a show for me?
5: Well, there's the design brief, which I'm used to actually getting in After Effects, because nearly everybody who designs TV designs it all in After Effects and practices exports it, exports in After Effects, and then they kind of share it the client then signs it off and then i get the signed off thing and i say oh well instead of these movies could you send me the after effects file but um obviously i have worked with things like photoshop files and illustrator files and then i'm given animation curves and i essentially most people are used to sending me these kind of quadratic uh, animation curves that work in after effects but those ones you can't directly type into motion sadly so the answer is it depends what have you got Uh what do you know um uh, But a professional brief would be After Effects and some associated quick times to show how things work. And then I'll come back with a question saying, but how many lines of text do you are allowed in this box? Can it be three or four? Do you want the text to rise up from that baseline or do you want it to hang down? And how do you want other objects to be? How much do you want me to lock it down? And the answer is, I would suggest lock it down as much as possible so people can get on with their work without messing about with too many different options.
0: My very high tech brief when I send uh, stuff to Alex is here's the here's the here's the client keynote. Um, here's gives you a kind of a look and the feel. I uh, want to keep it simple. Um, probably use this font, and let me know what you let, let me know what you come up with. <laughs> Alex sends me back something, and I go, eh, make it look a little bit more like this, like it, it, it's it's because it, it. And usually there's not that many because Alex has done so much of it that I don't have to. Like he'll usually do things. If, when you're working with someone who's really good at what they do, you try not to get. It is what Alex gets all the time is a very verbatim set of directions. But I've learned to oftentimes, you know, give some design things to fit it into the overall look and feel that the client wants. So that's that's there. But to uh, oftentimes stay out of the way <laughs> and a lot of the little bits and pieces all fly together. And then you, and then you review it. And then I give feedback. And then the client gives feedback. And let me make it a little faster here, a little slower there. But it's a it's a little bit more organic. Yeah, go ahead, Alex.
5: So in practice, when it comes to – effectively, I've used motion like I used to use uh, Macromind director in the 90s and PowerPoint in the the zeros and Keynote in the tens. When somebody sends me a script, if they just send me the script, I have enough experience to work out what the important words are and then how to link those together and how to make those clear. And if somebody sends me the brand guidelines, I know all the colors that are needed and all the fonts and all the branding and also maybe their logo icon library or what happens. It depends Mm -hmm. on what I get. And I make it look as if it's essentially from their point of view, it's PowerPoint plus. But I don't mind that. It's still able to do some stuff that are not possible and has a nice flow to it and animates smoothly and quickly. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Next question. Bobby Rafferty in Central Florida. Have you worked with importing 3D objects in motion?
5: Have you done that, Alex? No, I haven't. I have. So yeah, over to a, a much more experienced Alex.
0: Um, yeah, so I actually, there was a, there's a, if you go up to a great place, if you want to download a reasonably good 3D model. Now, number one is you can open them in, um, if you go to the Smithsonian and search for USDZ in their file, they have Smithsonian 3D. Go in there, and they've got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons, and tons of files. Some of them are OBJs, some of them are STL, some of them are a lot of other things. You can download, but you know it's a government agency, so we already paid for them, you know, in our, with our tax dollars, and so they're all sitting up there, and you can you can grab onto them. Um, if you use, uh, there is an app from Apple called uh, Reality Converter, and it will allow you to take OBJs, any OBJ that you find on all the different, you know, anywhere on the internet you can convert it to, not all of them, sometimes they break, but most of the time you can pr- convert them to USDZ. Now, once you bring them as USDZ, you can turn, you can do it. Also, you can export, what we learned is that you can export these out, um, you can go through Substance. So Adobe Substance actually turns out to be a great texturing app. So a lot of stuff when I build stuff in motion, I will texture it in Adobe Substance. So a couple steps to that. One is I build it in Cinema 4D typically, or bring it into Cinema 4D. And because I, I have to set all the UVs. And so I set the UVs in Cinema 4D. I then um, take it to Substance. And now I can just apply the textures that Substance has or other textures and build them all out and uh, customize them. And then you export out as a USDZ file. Um, and I can then drop them into into um, into motion. Uh, once they're in motion, I can animate them. So I, if you go to clarity.io, you'll see a model that Chris Fritchie in our own group actually built. And... Um, I don't have, the video is, is out of date, so it's not on the, on the website, but I built a video with that model and all those images that you see there from that model, that's a USDZ model and I built the video from it all inside of motion. So it was all built inside of motion um, and I did all the 3D animation that I would normally do in another app and the advantage of it is it was rendered really fast. <laughs> so I can move things around and I, can, I, don't, I don't have to preview as much as I, I did before and I could add the 2D graphics over on top of it and behind it and everything else while it was working. And um, so it works really well. There, there's one little issue, which is that there is some um, inside of motion, and this is a general problem with real time on the Mac right now, is that USDZ will have a sli- slight bit of um, aliasing, you know, because it's not oversampling. To keep it in real time, it doesn't oversample. Oversampling means it renders at a much higher resolution. If you set 4X oversampling and you're in a 1080p thing, it's gonna be like an AK file, you know, like it's gonna, and it slows things down as far as the render. So when I do the final video render, I actually oversample myself. So I'll render out an 8K version of something and then I'd run it through compressor and then I play with the compressor, um, the algorithms that are used to go from high resolution to low resolution. There's something with an L that I use (laughs) so that I like uh, um, that's not bicubic um, and it softens it in a way that I like. Um, And so anyway, so that's that's the only thing about, the only gotcha with the 3D models is is that on curved edges and everything else, I find that there's just a touch, it's just a tiny bit of aliasing that bothers me. Um, and so, um, but but what I will say is they, they once you get in, in there, you can rotate them and animate them. If they have built-in animations, there's a couple of them. There's a whole list of 3D objects that are already in motion. I think they're kind of cheap looking. <laughs> I think Apple could do better. So you can also go to Apple Apple's website if you just want to play with it. There's a if you do Apple USdz, there's a whole file of like little toys and little rockets and stuff like that that you can play with. But you can get any OBJ and convert it. Um, and then there's some USdz stuff that's coming up on Smithsonian. Uh, next question,
1: Robert Choji from Los Angeles, California. Once you've created the lower third, can you share it as a plugin for someone else to use?
5: You go, Alex. Well, there's two ways of doing it. The most straightforward thing is that if you know the magic place for it to go on in your Mac, then you know where to put it. And essentially there's a folder in your um, home folder, there's a movies folder, inside the movies folder, there's the motion templates folder, inside the motion templates folder, there's some categories, titles, transitions, generators, and effects. And in this case, you'd put it in the titles category. But it is possible to make an installer. So what I do for the BBC and other people is that I make an app that can run on their Mac, and it puts everything in the right place. Um, and you can make installers, I'm no developer. And it's, I can't remember the, essentially it's a program called Plugin Manager, which is part of um, Pro Maintenance Tools. So it's a Mac. Uh, is that part of the developer tools, or is that its own thing? No, it's a commercial, it's a single buying the uh, thing that I bought, I don't know, five years ago, something like that, maybe eight years ago. And uh, you set, you select your plugin and choose make app. And then if you like, you can include a, the background and the installer can be your installer or something like that. But also, in order to make it easy to run on people's machines, you register, I register as an Apple developer uh, for $50 a year. And then I put my d- d- credentials in there. So that means it'll run on any Mac because it's been uh, signed by my developer. Uh, thing so in case if I put some bad things in that one of these apps and that was revealed and then Apple can immediately turn that off so that's the reason why you do that so the answer is yes you can uh, make an installer but in practice if you go to um, my alex4d.com slash free one you'll see some instructions on each plugin page about where to put these things without an installer in a what folder put them in Um, because Initially, if you don't have motion and you have no custom templates at all, then those folders don't exist. But as soon as you put, make, add one uh, template made in motion to Final Cut, then, it, uh, then all those folders will be created for you. So essentially, when I say those folders, they're just in the home folder, in movies, motion templates, and then it's either in the titles folder, the transitions folder, the generators folder, or the effects folder next question.
1: And next question is from Robert Sababity in Poland. Can you share a lower third that you're really proud of and talk about how you build it? Hmm. Um, I
5: suppose the thing is that some of these things um, the design-wise of them, yeah, there's one that's very complicated that I'm kind of messing with and I'm kind of exploring, but that's more like an interesting technology as opposed to it being designed. So Let's see if I can actually uh, find it on here um but it will be it's hard to explain how it works because I'm just it's a kind of thing uh, a possible product in the future alex x four d slide um, so it is possible to do this kind of thing where you uh I might maybe I should actually share my screen so you can see what I'm talking about excuse me sorry about that. So um, so this is cool. This would be something like Alex 4D slide. Because I think it's essentially, when I'm making templates for other people, if they're going to be used by lots of other people, then I don't put too much design into them. I want it to be able to work with any font and any point size. So in this case, um, I've got this text called slide text. And then I can choose how many words are are shown initially. And then the idea is after a certain amount of time this happens. And then I've got a little overlay thing that shows me the kind of a response curve that happens. So I can see that there's a little movement like that. So this is something I'm kind of just, I don't know, messing about with at the moment in terms of uh, being able to show a curve in Final Cut, but what's well, not too complicated, but enough so people can get an idea what's going to happen. Um, let's see if I do that, change the sliders. So you can see I'm drawing this curve using the template and then I can turn this off. So I'm kind of proud of it, but it's not from a design point of view. It's from a kind of um, technology point of view. Because the advantage of this from my point of view is I can select this text. It can be happening anywhere on the screen and I can use any standard font and it'll still work. Um, Because sometimes what happens when you design things is you get into a position where you can even make it work in 3D like this and then do the same thing again. So, that is a kind of something I'm very happy with from a technology point of view. Um, from a kind of work point of view, I didn't necessarily design this, but I really like it. Um, BBC News um, And I like the Astons that they have, or lower thirds that the BBC have on their. On, if you even go to YouTube, you'll see um, these most of the videos there on YouTube that are made for YouTube are made using these templates. So that's the BBC style of a name and a lower third is to have it at the side because they have so much stuff going on at the bottom and the top that, um, they like to, they think having the stuff at the side is a good idea. So I go to move this out of the way and here are the controls. I can choose to have the name or just the designation. So notice I had to make it so the line Either animates to the length of that line, but if I actually include the designation, then of course the line has to be in a different place and has to animate to the length of whatever I type in there.
0: Um, and the white's a little ahead of the red.
5: Yeah. So if you look at it, it's got a kind of like a, so. That's really nice. And also, they have a what they call an upper position because they have a little bit of stuff up here. Mm-hmm middle position and lower, isn't that low, but it's just slightly lower. And then I can change the alignment if I like, um, and also again, the build in, build out, you know, about, this is gray. And sometimes the bar can be, this is for a fun inside thing. Cat one O bit means if a category one person has died, then we use black instead of red. And you Um. may have known of some various (laughs) category one persons have died recently. So this is so that you're ready to do, at short notice, um, different standard colors for these things, in terms of these lines. Um, so one fun thing about this one, if I get to this, t- uh, get this timeline, I've got my pasta, but let's say I'm going to duplicate project as, but I'm going to make it uh, vertical and uh, 1920 by 1080. Now, i might have put too much type in here to do, for this to work so i go to pasta tool and you can see that the lower third even though even though it's kind of not visible there because i need to select this text and i need to change the special conform to fill just to make it easier i've got a bit too much text but it's repositioned based on the fact that the rules for this um text right are that they're in different positions depending on the aspect ratio. So this one, I can choose to be black, and also I can choose social safe um, because obviously there are different safe areas for social media.
0: And you uh, could have ones where you had a, you had a check boxes like TikTok safe or Instagram safe or mm,
5: whatever. Absolutely. Safe. Yeah. Yes. So I do have some TikTok templates as well that I did more recently. But um, yeah. So the cool thing is these titles, the same file will work in different aspect ratios perfectly fine, and you. There's a trick to that, but that's quite involved, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, so I'm going to change this back to here, and I'm going to choose. So the upper is different for this one, and uh, let's go to the left. So this is that. This is much more of a kind of example of what an editor wants. They don't really want to set a huge range of colours. They want to have just their specific colours that are allowed. Right. And they don't want to have to choose different positions necessarily, because choosing a different position means a bit too many choices, and they should really just be getting on with doing the edit, if you see what I mean. So this is upper, middle, and lower for this. So this can't go any lower according to this one, uh, according to that rule. So even though I choose a different thing, it didn't show lower value. And if I go to social safe, I turn social safe off. That means I can actually move this slightly lower. This is to allow for subtitles to be here. So this is more of a kind of a, yeah, oh, sorry, I'm running out of time, I apologize. But it gives you some idea of a, a kind of like a real lower third, if you see what I mean, the practicality of it uh, and the kind of options you might have and try not to give too many options, but enough so you can sort out. It's more about the, all the use cases. So what I want from a client is think through the use cases and uh, bear those in mind. And what sometimes then I could come up with design rules that intersect their design right. with the practicalities of social media, for instance
2: screen. Chris, real quick. Yeah, I would like to remind remind everybody that at the top of the hour, Alex said, I'm not a trainer, but I know some things. He knows Uh, a lot of things. Total (laughs) understatement, Alex. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Really, really amazing. So, uh, thank you so much, Alex.
0: And um, thank you, thank you to the rest of the panels for the great first hour as well um, and 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 being here for the second hour can 't do this without you thanks to the uh, in, the producers for all the great questions in the first hour and the second hour um, and uh, thanks to the incredible team that uh, works on the development of this uh, to, to allow us to do this um, you know this is not again not your standard little zoom. it is a, a very very complex process of of uh, development of management of uh, you know, there's just a, it's an incredible um, little bubble that's been created by, by everyone that's involved. Every This is one of those few shows where the people who are watching, the people who are um, on the panel, the people who are developing on the back end, people who are cutting the show, We're all making the content for ourselves. It's really kind of amazing, amazing mix here. So thanks, thanks to everyone. Um, We traveled, drum roll, please. uh, We traveled 71,000 miles today, um, 115,000 kilometers in the Tlaloc Traversal. That's what it would have taken if we had wandered around to Chris's house and to Mitchell's house and Alex's house to get these questions answered. It would have been a lot of miles um, and a lot of kilometers. um, uh, And that is 568 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours.
1: Alex, good job. I got uh, four slug bugs
2: uh in your background there. <laughs> there was, those check those check boxes are so cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh he's dead. Black line. Yeah. It's
0: <laughs> well and just and just the, 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 the ability to build those all up and and you know, again, when we're doing especially when we're doing stuff when we we use these a lot. Much simpler version than what Alex showed at like MacWorld and stuff like that back in the day, because you could uh, not MacWorld, but other other conventions in the twenty, you know, in the in the teens or whatever, and uh, the editors could just be slamming things through, and it all looked the same. You know, they just hit the buttons that they need. They have the things they just throw them on, and everything just does what it needs to do. So it's really good. Excellent.
5: Thanks. See you, buddy.